What's up, Likeheads? This is Sally, and I just wanted to let you know that this time around, we are re-releasing an episode from August 2021 called Poetry for Children and Slobs. It's one of my absolute favorite episodes that we've ever recorded as a child and as a slob. I heartily recommend it. I hope you enjoy listening to it for the first time or listening to it again, as the case may be. We will be back with a new episode next time, but for now, we hope you enjoy this one. Oh, I Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Rachel Wilkerson-Miller. And I'm Sally Tamarkin. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Rachel, and happy birthday, Junior. Oh my God. <laughs> wow, were you saving that for to, I, so we, you could catch my live reaction? I had to like sit on my hands because I was like so, I was like vibrating with excitement to like text it to you. So, <laughs> so I'm really glad I got to say it on the air. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you. But, um, so that brings us to our vibe check, which um, the vibe today for me is birthday junior. Yes. As you know, I'm, I'm not a birthday adult, but I'm embracing it for the birthday adults in my life who want to celebrate. I feel like every year we get you a little closer to birthday adulthood. I feel like your 95th birthday is going to be a <laughs> massive blowout. That's yeah. going to be like a week long party. I think that's right. I started testing out like on Monday, I started being like, it's my birthday week. How did girlfriend. that feel? It felt funny because it's not my natural state. And I was doing it to kind of be a brat. And I was like, see how does do you you don't this isn't what you want you don't want me to be this way did she agree I think she slightly regretted like, <laughs> having introduced the idea that I should be a little bit more excited about my birthday but no I'm taking today off I'm taking Monday off so I'm doing a four-day weekend so it definitely feels like the birthday weekend has begun although today I have a hair appointment all day which is like not my idea of a birthday celebration so I'll feel like a lot more excited once that's over yeah, it's like getting yourself in pole position for the birthday celebration. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It needs to happen, but it's also like, meh. you know, I wish it didn't have to today. Totally. I hear you. I'm very excited that it's your birthday week, it's your birthday month, um and I I hope that you like I know that like I ironically started like calling some of my friends bro and mm -hmm. it's become unironic. I just, there are certain friends of mine that I just call bro now completely unironically. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like, if you lean into the irony of being a birthday adult, you could be on a similar trajectory where it just becomes just fully integrated part of your personality. I feel like that's the thing that happens is you start something as a bit and then you're like, oh no, I, I'm too far and I can't undo this <laughs> yeah. now. So I got to be careful with this. <laughs> this is my entire personality now. Yeah, exactly. Totally. What's your vibe this morning? Okay, so I I have a couple vibes. One oh. is <laughs> one one vibe is underslept but leaning into it. I'm just in a in a phase of like not sleeping very well, which happens mm -hmm. to me every now and now and again. And I'm getting to the point of like sleep deficit where I just feel sort of like demented. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm just sort of in some strange alternate reality. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is this awesome post by our our friend and friend of the show Terry Post who is managing editor at Apartment Therapy she wrote this really awesome just like short post about an anti-sleep routine that she has embraced to help with her insomnia. And she references a book called uh, The Sleep Book by Dr. Guy Meadows. And she kind of pulls out a few relevant points from the book in her post. And it's basically about sort of being less like invested in your insomnia and less 
sort of obsessed with and precious about the fact that like you can't sleep and you don't sleep and you might not fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, I loved the post when I read it and I I think about it a lot when I'm going through periods of insomnia because I tend to get really wrapped up in the fact that I can't sleep and it becomes a part of my personality. And I think that makes it harder to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the vibe is like, is that, is all of that. So, and the other thing I want to just really quickly talk about is the bird that was on my front porch last night, uh-huh. which I sent you a picture <laughs> of when it happened. And I'm going to like link to, I'll link to my tweet in the show notes because I don't know how else to show a picture to a podcast audience, mm-hmm. but basically I was sitting on the porch and what I thought was like a bird of prey turned out to be a mockingbird, Rachel. Oh, wow. Well, I guess like, <laughs> I didn't know they were named such because they like humiliate you for thinking they're so scary. They humiliate you. They make you completely terrified. And like, I, I just, I went inside and like later Andrea, my partner was like, I'm going to go for a walk. Do you want to come? And I was like, I'm not going outside tonight. Like that bird is there. Anyway, there was a, there was a mockingbird that was like five feet away from me. Really, really, really angry specifically at me. It seemed. I wonder why not to victim blame, but what did you do to, (laughs) I know I, I provoked the, the ire of the mockingbird. So anyway, so I've been thinking a lot about that and Hey, maybe that's connected to why I didn't sleep last night. I don't know. Anyway, so that's where I am, sort of a kind of an all over the place and demented vibe okay. for this morning. All right. Great. Good start. <laughs> um, good start, but let's let's bring it way down to a like a much more kind of like chill, relaxed, contemplative vibe mm-hmm. because we're gonna talk about poetry. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Neither of us are like poets or English. Did you, are you an English major? No, journalism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me neither. I'm also not an English major. And so I think it's fun that we are, we've decided to be amateur experts in poetry. Exactly. And just to like disclose a little bit about myself, I am, I consider myself when it comes to poetry, something of a dilettante, which I just Googled to make sure that that was the right (laughs) word to use. And it turns out that it's, like very, it's even better than I could have expected because the definition is a person who cultivates an area of interest such as the arts without real commitment or knowledge. (laughs) And I think nothing could better describe my relationship to poetry, which is that I really enjoy reading poetry, but only poetry that I like and understand, which is a very small sliver of poetry. And also I don't really understand what I'm reading in any kind of sophisticated way. And Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I'm sort of just enjoying like the sounds of the words and the rhythm and the feelings that the poem evokes. So I say that just to say, I apologize in advance. And also like, I think it's, I think one of the reasons we want to do this is because we both enjoy poetry, but also like it can be, you, you can be a dilettante and enjoy poetry. Like you don't have to really under have a deep understanding of like the form, which I think poetry is like kind of one of those things that there's an assumption that goes along with it that like you have some sort of sophisticated literary sensibility and that's Mm. the reason you enjoy poetry. Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't think you have to have that sensibility to like some poems or to find poems that you like, but it also might mean that you don't like all poems, which is fine. Like no one does, but you might just have to sort through more poetry to find stuff that you do like if you are sort of put off by things that you don't understand and that makes you feel a little like stressed out because you're like, I don't get what the big deal is with this. Like if you're feeling that way, like that's fine. You can just move on to the next poem. 
least that's yeah, exactly. my feeling. Like you don't have to like, if you want to learn more about it, you can, but you can also just like keep looking around until you find poems you like. I think that's actually like a really, this is a good time for me to introduce my full taxonomy of the kinds of poems that exist. Mm -hmm. So to me, there are four kinds of poems. There's limericks. Great, great form of poem. (laughs) Great form. They rhyme. They're short. They're Mm -hmm. almost always really funny. Although a tragic limerick would be kind of a fun thing. I wonder if that exists. Old English, like old with an E on the end. Mm -hmm. So written in some very old timey way where it's like, Instead of never, it's like ne'er. Is that what, you know, with the apostrophe is that yeah, yeah. ne'er? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That where you like kind of can understand some words, but not all of them. Um, the fourth kind of poem is conceptually inscrutable. So like just one of those poems that you you aren't even really sure what it's even about. Like mm-hmm. you understand the individual words and you even understand the words when they're put together, but you cannot tell what the poem is actually about. Mm-hmm. And then the the fourth kind is poems that are like prose, but in shorter sentences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those are my favorite kinds of poems because they're like prose <laughs> and I can understand them and they're, they're, they're short. And I think like the reason I break poems into these four categories is because I... I'm really only, I, I experience all poetry as like one of these four things. Mm-hmm. And the only one that I'm really interested in is the, the kind of short prosy ones, which is not to say that I, I would, you know, I don't like the occasional conceptually inscrutable poem or the occasional thing that's written in old, in like an old, like a more <laughs> a retro English. And it's about <laughs> like walking in the woods or whatever. Those are cute, mm-hmm. but they're just not really my jam. And I think it's like, one aspect of like enjoying poetry is not that you don't have to enjoy poetry. You can give poetry like the middle finger and be like, I don't care about you. Like you don't need to want to enjoy poetry. But if you've wanted to, I think it helps to sort of just like think broadly about, okay, like what are the kinds of poems I'm likely to get into? So Rachel, not that you have to go along with my taxonomy, but are there kinds of poems that you know you like? I mean, I really love a rhyming poem, Mm -hmm. which I feel like may seem juvenile, but to me, a rhyming poem is like the highest form of art because to me, it's so much harder to write. There's like no disrespect to writing a poem that doesn't rhyme and the the art that goes into that. But I'm just like, yeah, but it doesn't have to rhyme at the end of the day. Like that, that makes it harder. So that makes it more special. It would be like you, you you could be a good baseball player if you swung the bat, you don't ever have to hit it. Right. Like that's like, it's like, no, you have to hit the ball. You have to rhyme to make it a good poem. Yeah. So I just like love to see a rhyming poem and I, I, I find them so much more satisfying to read because like there is just that, like, like the rhythm is sort of built in. So I, I love finding them. I feel like they're fairly rare, but that's, I think that's what makes them more special. So beyond that, I'm like, I'm like with you on the, um, feels like prose, but shorter, mm-hmm. which like when we talk about our, our favorite poems, like I have two of those, but my all-time favorite poem is a rhyming poem. And I stand by that. I love that. I mean, the thing about rhymes is like, I feel like if you were to like put someone, now this is me being an amateur neurologist, <laughs> amateur neuroscientist. If you put someone in like an MRI and like scanned their brains when they were listening to words rhyming, mm-hmm. I feel like something would light up like akin to what happens in your brain when you watch like those oddly satisfying videos or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's just something clicks on a very like (laughs) evolutionary level Uh when things rhyme, you know? Agree. It's so satisfying. Okay. Sally, here's my possibly 
prying question. Have you ever written a poem? There is no way for me to not be embarrassed by my answer to this. <laughs> and so in the way that I am leaning into my insomnia, I am going to lean into my embarrassment around the truth. The answer is yes, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I I have written poetry and like I would like to <laughs> I would like to um de de-shamify the practice of writing poetry because I feel like there's a thing where unless you're already a world famous poet, you mm-hmm. should never write poetry, mm-hmm. which is just sort of like that those things don't really go together. Like you can't become a world famous poet unless you've like written poetry before you were famous, Mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, the point is I have, Mm -hmm. and I've written, I don't, again, like, was it poetry or was it prose with like interesting line breaks? Right. Well, you know, you'd know the answer if it had rhymed, then it would have definitely been a poem. So that's one nice thing that, that separates poems that rhyme from prose is that you, you can be sure you're a poet now because you wrote something that rhymed. That's a really good point. I've never written anything that rhymed. So Mm. I have written the occasional haiku, which I think is like one Mm. of the few kinds of poems that you can consider a poem, even though it doesn't rhyme. I agree. Yeah, I think that's right. What about you, Rachel? Have you written a poem? I have. It is. It is true. The rumors are true. I've written poems before. I think I recall writing my first poem when I was eight years old, but it may have been earlier. (gasps) That's so cute. (laughs) Thank you. Here's the reason I knew you had written a poem without Uh you even telling me. It's because writing poems is canonically, spiritually, literally, literally, figuratively gay. Writing poems is gay. You're so right. You're so right. (laughs) I, yes, you're right. No, you're right. Like, there's just no way around it. I mean, I don't even know. I was going to make a joke that, like, we were, this is our coming out episode because we're coming (laughs) out as having written poems before, but I, your people would already know that about us if they've been paying attention. I would hope so. But poetry is just extremely gay. Like in ever the yearning, the writing it down, the feet, like the feet, all of it. Like I just, I just assume. I mean, I just assume everybody's gay, but I also definitely assume poets are gay. Yeah, I mean, as a best practice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that like poetry is like it's it's so to me. My experience of it, and again, as like a dilettante, is that it's about like evoking feelings mm-hmm. and sort of contemplating feelings, and to mm-hmm. me, it you know, I don't, it, yeah, I mean, it does, it doesn't kind of get queerer than that. Even, even if the poems are like about, you know, like a rock or Mm -hmm. flying in an airplane or whatever, I mean, you're still using this form that is about being in your feelings. Yeah. I mean, I would say, especially if a poem is about a rock. That's, (laughs) I mean, look, you're right. I feel like like nature poems are some of the gayest poems out there. Yeah. Yeah. Because nature yeah. is also gay. So like you put the two things together and it's just and, like And here we lot. are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the nature poems are interesting because I consider myself like an indoorsy person versus an outdoorsy person. But when I read someone when I read someone's nature poetry, I'm like, oh yeah, nature is glorious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and that's like that's very special. Like, I, And I think that if I read prose about nature, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You're describing being outside. But there is something special about a poem that sort of makes you connect with the topic in a more, in a way that kind of comes more from your heart than mm-hmm. from your brain, I would say. I think that's right. And I'm you know? with you. I think we're going to talk more about some nature poets in a bit, but I I agree that reading nature poetry makes me feel very like, oh, right. Yes, nature. Thank right? you. Yeah. Nature is glorious and majestic. And it's like wild that there are trees everywhere when you think about it. Yeah. It's wild that we're not just talking about this more. Right? Yeah. 
Okay. So Sally, I think one thing that you're particularly good at is finding poems. And I think for a lot of people, I, I would include myself in this, like getting into poetry is entirely reliant on finding poems to read. And so that can be like a barrier to entry that it's just like, there's a lot of poems out there. Where do I start? And like, more specifically, how do I find poems that I like? So I wonder, I have a couple tips, but I feel like you have even better ones. And I think it would be great to hear your recommendations. Okay, great. I'm so glad you asked because I do have some favorite ways of finding poems. One thing is that when I was first trying to get into poetry, so my brother for my bat mitzvah, like wrote down a po- a part of the wasteland by T.S. Eliot, mm-hmm. just like in the card he wrote me. And I, I thought the the words were like so haunting and interesting. And I was like, poetry seems cool. Let me try to get into it. And then I didn't really until I was much older. But when I did, the first thing I did was like just browsing anthologies, just going into a bookstore and just sort of, you know, whether it's like anthologies of like poems from a certain era or a certain school of poetry, or it's even more accessible to do like poems by like women or poems by black poets or, you know, poems about war. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you you can find these anthologies uh, based on almost any like connecting thing, whether it's Mm -hmm. like an identity, whether it's like the poet's identity or a subject area or whatever. And that to me is like a really nice way. It's like basically like you're sort of, you know, picking up some things from the like table of hors d'oeuvres and sampling Mm -hmm. what you Mm -hmm. like. And then, and that's, that's a good way to not just like find out, I think what you like, but also the kind of stuff that you don't like. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I've done is like, basically once I land on a poem that I like, I see who wrote it and of course look at all their other stuff, but also like check out who their contemporaries were, because a lot of times like there's like poets who are all kind of writing in the same era and maybe they're like friends with each other and their their poems reflect a particular sensibility. And so they have like contemporaries and peers that are writing similar things. And then same with like looking at a poet's like influences and their favorites. And like sometimes, I mean, it, and you don't really have to do deep research. It'll be like, you, you can like in a book of poetry, it'll be like this author lived from this time to this time. And they, you know, and they engage in a lengthy correspondence with this other poet. And, you know, that's, then you can look into that poet or you can just like Google them and see, and and you'll, you'll learn about kind of what their influences were and who their contemporaries were. So that's like another good way. The poetry subreddit, our poetry is just people just like post poems. And that's like another good way to just like sample the platter. I think also if you have an interest in a particular era or historical event or like cultural phenomenon, you can just Google poetry about those things. So like I have always been really interested in social and like leftist movements of the 60s and 70s and discovering poetry that was written in that time by kind of like poet activists is like, that's how I discovered like a bunch of poems, a poets I like and a bunch of like, I mean, that's how I discovered like interesting ways to think about like social justice and like movements for social justice. And, you know, you can do that again, like if there's like, it can be like a war or it can be the concept of like immigration or queerness. I just, I think basically if if you just like find yourself gravitating towards a particular subject, just like Google poems about that thing. Yeah. There's also a website called versedaily.com, which is a poem every day, which is fun to just like check out. And then I really like doing 
secret stanzas, which is like a secret Santa, but you trade poems. I did this at the beginning of the pandemic with a group of my friends. And uh, basically we just did, we, you know, um, we went to a website, a secret Santa website, and it connected us all to each other. And we emailed our secret stanza recipient, a poem. And then we included like, kind of like just a sentence or two about like why we chose it. And I got like, we did it twice and I got like beautiful poems from people with sort of an explanation of like why they thought of it in this moment or why it made them think of me or like why it was relevant now. And that's, that's just a really fun way to like sort of engage with other people about poetry. And also just like, it's very interesting to see what other people are connecting with about poetry and what they're finding in it that is like going to be surprising to you. So that's like, that's another great way to do it. That's great. I feel like you could also request poems as gifts if you are Mm. looking for poems, like not as Mm -hmm. like gifts, gifts, but like if you are going through something and you like people are reaching out, like you can be like, I just need hugs and poems or something like that. Or like you can kind of request them in that way. Or if, you know, you've got a birthday coming up and you like people are like what do you want for your birthday and you could just be like you know send me a poem that you like think I should know about or something like that I feel like just you'll get a like that's a cool thing to request from people that like doesn't really cost money and like people are usually excited to have the assignment to do so I think like just asking people for recommendations or more specifically being like when people are like, what do you need right now? If you need a poem or want some poems, like just ask for them and you can find them that way. I love that. Yeah. And I think if you feel intimidated by poetry, but kind of interested in it, you can Google like poems that are easy to understand, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so for example, if you get that assignment from a friend and you really want to participate, but you're like poetry, I don't, that's hard and complicated and inscrutable. Just Google like easy poems and you'll find so much stuff. Yeah, definitely. Here's my other recommendation for finding poems. And that is poetryfoundation.org, which is like incredibly straightforward, maybe even a little basic. But the thing that I like is that they just have so many like collections of types of poems, basically for every event, for every holiday, for every season, for every sort of type of thing you can think of, they have already put together a collection of poems for that. You can also search like types of poets if you want again to search for like black poets or queer poets or you know whatever the case may be you can usually find that there so I think that's a really good entry into and like you can just click around it's free you can you know if you don't like it you can move on to the next one which I feel like is a good low stakes way to just see what you like without having to buy anything or it does it sort of doesn't cost you anything except just the time to read the poem so I think that's a good place to start and then figure out what poets you like and just kind of go from there. Totally. Yeah. Poetry Foundation is awesome. And it also, you can often find like, not like annotations exactly, but articles about some of the poems, which kind of can help you understand. It's like, what what was that VH1 show? Oh, pop uh, up. pop up video. Yeah. It's, it's like pop up video for poems, which is really awesome. So yeah, I think that's a really, really great, really great recommendation. There was also a newsletter I was following for a while that's now on hiatus called Poem, P-O-M-E, by Matthew Ogle. I'll, I'll share the link because it's probably worth signing up so that when it comes back, if you want to subscribe, but it's just like a poem a day. So I think looking for things like that, just, you know, if there are people in the world who, you know, you can follow who recommend poems, just kind of like Stacey Marie recommends them in her news or like she just shares poems in her newsletter. It's not really a recommendation so much as like they're just always there. So just finding 
people who you like who have a taste for poetry. That's how I've come across a lot of poems that I really like. Yeah. And that's Stacey Marie Ishmael, by the yes. way. And we'll link to their Twitter in the show. Twitter? Twitter in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Twitter sounds like a really good app name though. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Twitter. know what it would do, but I think it it's like exist. it's it's an app for Twitter and it <laughs> install Twitter for your timeline. It will it will message you every time someone you follow subtweets. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's Twitter. No, that's poetry. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing is that like, first of all, Poem, the newsletter that you're talking about, you recommended to me and it's so good. And that you, you, when it was around and hopefully it will be again, you get these like mostly very short poems, which mm-hmm. is like my number one requirement is that like a poem be like relatively short. So that's mm-hmm. great. And they're also, I used to listen to the Poetry Foundation used to have, they they actually have more podcasts now than they did, but I used to listen to one of their podcasts and they would kind of talk about a poem and a poet and just sort of, yeah, again, like pop-up video for poems. And I think that annotative exercises uh, for poems can make them kind of more accessible. I agree. Another good place to find poems, this is like a highly specific recommendation, is A Practical Wedding, which is a wedding website that like has a bunch of different poem curations for like poems for weddings. So it'll be like, you know, like non-religious, you know, poems for your wedding. And, and just basically it's a lot of love poems and poems about things that you would imagine relating to a wedding. And the thing that I like about it is that I really like the community. And so people often will recommend poems in the comments as well. And I feel like if you follow any blogs or anything like that, or people on Instagram who recommend poems and you like that person and their followers seem sort of like, like-minded to you, like read the comments because that's a really good place to discover more poems, oftentimes even more than you'll find in the post itself. But the APW ones are like a really nice place to find love poems and poems about celebration. Even if you're not getting married, I think it's still worth poking around there to find some new to you poetry. All right, Sally, should we share some poems? I would love to. So we are not going to actually like read the poems. We're just going to sort of like list them and we'll link to them in our show notes. I would like to recommend one of my all-time favorite poems that I actually have saved in my notes app and I look at like often and it's called Why We Sing by Mario Benedetti. It was written in 1979 and it's a really good example of kind of like a, a protest poem or a resistance poem. And I actually sent it around like when things have been politically dire, (laughs) which has been all the time lately, but at moments of like heightened direness, I've like sent this to people when, when we're like in conversation about feeling despondent or scared. And it's, it's just a really beautiful poem about like resistance and persistence and coming together as a collective to reject fascism essentially. And it's like, I I think that it's quite accessible and uh, I highly recommend it. Rachel, tell me your first fave. Okay. My first fave is The Orange by Wendy Cope, who I love in part because her poems rhyme. And this is a very modern poem that's just about um, enjoying a day and like not an exceptional day, but just an ordinary day. And it's about being content and satisfied. And I think it's so lovely. And I think I actually came to Wendy Cope through her poem, Differences of Opinion, which I'll also mm. link to, which is very, very good. So um, I am, as, I, as we've been doing this episode, I'm like, oh, I just need to get some of her books because I like everything of hers that I've read. I think they're great. She's British. I feel like along with being gay, poetry is also very British. And so, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, I think if somebody's British and writing poems, I'm like, this is probably going to be 
good serious poetry, but hers don't, hers are like the most accessible in my mind. They're just like, she's telling you a thing and it's pretty, you're going to understand the thing. And I and it love rhymes. that about her and it rhymes like, so, but it's also like, she's won a bunch of awards. So it's not like it's poetry for children and slobs. Like it's, it's both accessible, but also good. So I, I love Whitney Cope. By the way, the book Poetry for Children and Slobs is a book I would definitely read. I think we should like we should pitch that book. Yeah, it's our it's our episode title and also the the anthology that we're going to pitch to some publisher. Amazing! That sounds awesome. I love this poem, and I which I've discovered via you, and I will definitely check out more of her stuff. Cool. What's your next one? So my next one is called Poem. The Day Gets Slowly Started by James Schuyler. This is actually a poet that I discovered via poetryfoundation.org. And Amazing. yeah, and I learned more about the poem on one of their podcasts. And this, I actually have the second to last line of this poem tattooed on me in the way that it appears on the page. It is like, James Schuyler wrote a lot of stuff that was like, reflected this kind of, I want to call it like happy sadness, which is like, and maybe happy is a little bit too happy of a word, but like <laughs> just like a lot of it is very dark and reflects like a, a very intense like despair, but with like a, just the slightest glimmer of hope and kind of self-awareness and like and and insight into kind of like the nature of sadness or something. I'm, I mean, I'm making it sound way more maybe conceptually like elevated or high-minded than I actually experience it because I would put this poem and a lot of his poetry in the category of prose, but with interesting line breaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's called poem and then in parentheses, the day gets slowly started by James Schuyler. And I will, I, I think it's just so beautiful. And so like kind of what you were saying about the Wendy Cope poem, like it's just, it's just about a day. It's about Mm -hmm. a very basic if sad day. And I love it. It's beautiful. Probably my favorite poem of all time. And yeah, we, you know, it'll be in the show notes of all these other poems. That's a great one. What about you? What's the next one? Okay. My next one is called Frida Kahlo to Marty McConnell. It is a poem by Marty McConnell. Some people think it's like something Frida Kahlo wrote, but it's not. It's like Marty McConnell, the author, imagining what Frida Kahlo would be saying. And it is a breakup poem. I think I found it via Captain Awkward, which is where I found many poems. Like I was saying, like you can just, some people just like poems and recommend them sort of in passing. And I think that's where I came across this one. It's like, I don't know. It's just like a lovely sort of, not a snap out of it breakup poem, but just a like, but just like touches of that where it's like a, a wise, you know, it's okay to be sad, but like there's so much more to you and to life and I just, it's, I think it's so great. I think it's so just like lovely and special. I love that. I don't know this poem and I can't wait to read it. And what you're saying reminds me of another thing that I think poems are great for. And also like, I think can lead you to like find poems you like, which is if you're experiencing an emotion in an overwhelming way, finding poems about that thing can really help you like process and think about and just like feel those feelings. Cause I think there are some things that are so, some feelings like being, how you feel after a breakup, how you feel when you are grieving, you know, you miss someone who's died. Um, even like when you feel exuberant and it's just like an overwhelming emotion, finding poems about those things, poems, I think capture 
the sort of ineffable qualities of various like experiences and emotions and just like poems about grief, poems about breakups, poems about big feelings can are just so helpful to me or have been to me in just like processing those feelings that can otherwise feel almost like too big to really Mm -hmm. kind of wrap your mind around. I agree. Yeah. I think that like, that's the great thing about poems and poetry is that they're, it's like this medium that connects you, that feels very old. And so it connects you to like emotions through time, even if the poem is relatively modern, there's something about it being a poem that like sort of reminds you that this feeling is bigger than you. And you don't have to do the work of like expressing how you're feeling necessarily if you're trying and failing to like express how wonderful you feel or how bad you feel or whatever the case may be. Somebody else has done it for you so elegantly that you can just sort of like, you know, put it in your journal or send it to a friend or just have it and read it. But just it makes you feel like less alone. And also it, it like ties you into something bigger that I think is really meaningful in those moments. Yeah. And I actually just like to tag on to that. You just made me think of like, the the thing that I have thought about when I've had my heart broken after like breakups or my heart has been broken after breakups is that like bre- being broken up with or experiencing a breakup is this thing that like so many, if not like almost every person on earth has experienced, but every single person, it feels like no one's ever been through what you're going through. It's completely you know, the feelings you're feeling are like unique to you in your situation. and And that to me is like one of the most the most difficult things about going through a breakup is that you feel so like isolated because of just the way it feels to go through a breakup. And when you read poems about ends of relationships or breakups, you're like, oh no, like this is a thing that like everyone goes through at some point and everyone feels it differently. But like that there's like, there's just like some comfort in that. Like you're not, even though you feel very alone in your feelings, like you're not necessarily. Yeah. I think a breakup is a great time to get into poetry. Canonic, canonical, <laughs> yeah. like great time to get into poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so for my next recommendation, I just want to, I'm going to recommend a genre of poem, Ooh, okay. which is the Japanese death poem. These, I was introduced to these by just, I was browsing a poetry section in a bookstore. And as you know, I'm like pretty into death. Maybe we'll do like a death episode one of these days. Weirdly, I was just thinking as we were talking about this, like bef- like talking about poems, I was like, we could probably do a grief episode. Because, we totally yeah, could. So we could also do a death episode or like we could do both. Anyway. Maybe both. Yeah. 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 So I just, I have this book called Japanese Death Poems written by Zen monks and haiku poets on the verge of death. And so basically this is an introduction to this tradition, which the author says is a centuries old tradition, which is writing a poem in the very last moments of the poet's life. And a lot of these are written by Zen monks and they're haikus and they are so beautiful and so beautifully capture like Mm. the fleeting nature of life and what it means to face the fact that, you know, there's, there's no better grasping that the concept of like life being fleeting than being in like the last moments of it. Mm. And they're just like really, I mean, talk about happy sadness, my God. I mean, <laughs> just like absolutely like beautiful, but like, but short, concise, simple mm. meditations on, you can't even, like it, it's too big to conceptualize right, right. life and death and having been alive and now facing death. And, you know, if I was writing a death poem, it would be like the most fucking chaotic <laughs> n- nightmare shit because it would just be me like spiraling. But these are written by 
Zen monks who, you know, have spent in many circumstances, like huge portions of their lives, like sitting with the concepts of like non-attachment and stillness and all that stuff. And so they're coming from this very, very, very different place. And, and it's not a like, it, the place that they're coming from is not like, ah, eh, that's no big deal. Let me write a poem about it. Mm. They're coming from a place of like, this is real shit and I'm contemplating it in a real way. And so, yeah, I, I highly recommend this particular book is called Japanese Death Poems and it's compiled by Yoel Hoffman. We'll link to it in the show notes, but I'm sure there are other anthologies. Wow. Okay. I'm sold, even though I'm like, not sure if I'm going to have an accidental crisis when reading these, but I'm willing to, willing to find out. That is, yeah, that is sort of one of the, one of the things, but then the nice thing is like, it triggers the existential crisis, but then sort of accompanies you through it. So that's something. I'm into it. All Uh, right. (laughs) What's your next one, Rachel? Okay. My next one is called on this, the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, we reconsider the buoyancy of the human heart. And this is my most recent favorite poem, which I found through Captain Awkward who linked to this column in the Paris Review, which is called Poetry Rx, as in like poetry prescription. And basically people can write it and be like, I need a poem about this. And then the Mm. the writer will recommend one. And so that's another great way to discover poems is this column, which we'll link to. And also I guess you could just write in and ask for a recommendation. But somebody wrote in and basically was like, I've been dumped. My heart is broken. I need a poem. And this is the poem that's recommended. And it is basically the gist is that the the poet, the author goes, dives down to the Titanic after having their heart broken and is like, please tell me how to survive being sunk. Like, I feel like so devastated. I, you know, like I feel so devastated. It's like I've sunk to the bottom of the ocean and the Titanic responds and like, they just have a lovely conversation. And, but it's just so, um, I don't, I think it's so modern in its language and the way that, and it's got, it's kind of funny. It's got jokes. It's just, it's like really beautiful. And I feel like it's, it's, you know, ostensibly about a breakup, but I think any kind of loss or grief can, can be addressed through this poem. It's, it's a new favorite. And I just think it's so special. I love it so much. I am instantly obsessed. As soon as you read the title, I was like, right. Yeah. I was like, this is the kind of poetry, this, this right here. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to read this. I just sort of like looked at it quickly while you were talking and it, it looks fucking awesome. And I can't wait to dig into it later. Yeah. It's a really good one. So that is my last track, I think. And Sally, I'll kick it back to you. Okay. So my last recommendation is resolution number 1003 by June Jordan. It is just short and declarative and empowering and declarative and empowering I feel is a thing that is like nowadays is a is a thing that like you can come by relatively easily because there are so many things with like text <laughs> that you can <laughs> buy on Etsy that are like that have like empowering slogans or whatever but they mostly keep me or they mostly leave me really cold and bum me out and make me feel kind of the opposite of empowered. Mm -hmm. But this to me is sort of like the original text of like the declarative empowering poem that just comes from a really deep, beautiful place. Mm -hmm. It was written in 1993. The poem is from a book called Haruko Love Poems, Haruko slash Love Poems. And I don't have the book, but I'm reading about it. And it says that the book begins with a series of poems written in 1991 and 1992 to Haruko, her female lover, as Publishers Weekly would (laughs) describe it. But 
Yeah. So just like, to me, that's like another incentive to like get the whole book, but mm-hmm. this is a, this is a great poem. One of my faves and you know, 10 lines, 10 lines yeah, long. I, I love this poem. I read it this morning and it's, it is that like, it's like the, the platonic ideal of that, like the empowering text. It's like what everything else is trying to be. And it's like, oh yeah, poems aren't just words that anyone can write. Like there is something very special here. And I feel like this could be, this would be a really nice poem to like frame and put in your home somewhere. It's got kind of that like in this house energy, but like mm-hmm. without feelings, yeah, yes. right? You know, like it's like, yes, no, this is ha- like a moral yes, code. Rachel. I like this. Yeah. Yes. No, you're totally right. It has in this house energy, but like coming from like a real place of like authentic experience versus like, this is an aspirational thing that I think would look cute, which yes. no shade to aspirational things that look cute, but you know, you know what I'm trying to right, say? Right. hundred percent. This also reminds me like, this is totally kind of out of order, but I think it would have been great to mention when you were talking about people requesting poems as gifts. But one thing that's like really cool to do, which I've done before is, you know, there are, there are tons of like incredibly famous poets. And then there's also like poets that are not famous, but are like, have books published. Mm-hmm. And I once printed out a poem that was like a, fra- a favorite of mine and the favorite of like someone I was dating. And I sent it to the poet and I was like, would you like autograph this? And he did. And he also wrote a really sweet note on it and wow. I framed it and gave it to them. And like, so that's like, now I'm not saying that my, like you should go around like asking your favorite poems to like do things for you. I mean, your favorite poets, definitely ask poems to do things for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, but if, but if you, you know, there are like occasions where you can sort of like kindly ask, or you can like ask them to like sign a book or something like that. And that also can make a really nice gift. That is a nice gift. I would also add that like the first wedding anniversary gift is paper. And so a printed poem is a very nice gift. For that, I feel like sometimes it can be hard to think of a paper gift and that's a nice Yeah, one. you're totally right. I love that. We both wanted to mention Mary Oliver. Yeah. I like woke up in a cold sweat last night and was like, we don't have any Mary Oliver poems for the episode. (laughs) And I was like, how could I have overlooked this? Which then also made me realize that somehow in moving my like big Mary Oliver book of poetry, it was not with my other books. And I don't know where it, it's like still packed in a closet. So like it's here. I just, it's not easily accessible. I need to find it. The book is Devotions, which is a really, really good collection of Mary Oliver poems. It's a big, thick, white, hardcover book with a really beautiful cover. So if you like Mary Oliver or want to get into Mary Oliver, would recommend that, but would recommend any of her any of her books, any of her poems. She is a, I would say like a nature poet, a queer nature poet. So like the best of everything. And Mm -hmm. she's who I was thinking of when we were talking about, like you read poems about nature and you're just like, oh, right. Nature, like reading her poems truly helped me like want to be in nature and go out and like experience the world the way she does, which is just like, she loves birds so much in this way that is so lovely and special, that it really does encourage you to like see the world through her eyes and the way she does and like to love nature and be as sort of um awestruck by it correctly so and I think you know I see her poems like I I think she's very popular with people our age for good reason so if you've not had a chance to get into Mary Oliver yet consider this your push to do so yeah I think Mary Oliver like is someone who I would say you can just buy the book. Like, don't worry about like looking for a single poem, like just buy the book. And like the way that she writes about the natural world is so accessible because it's so grounded in being a human being that is not of the natural world. Like there's, I don't know, there's something that's very relatable and graspable to me Mm -hmm. about it. But yeah, 
a thousand, a thousand recommendations for all things Mary Oliver. I would also recommend reading Mary Oliver poems like outside if you can, or if you like plan a little trip to the woods or the mountains, if you're on your little getaway, like take a Mary Oliver book. Uh, a few years ago, I read, I got that book devotions right before I went to Sagatuck for the summer. And so I was reading it on the beach. And I feel like as we mentioned in our last episode, being in nature is really helpful. And that combination, Mary Oliver, the beach, like is one of the things that like both helped me cope with summer, but also made me feel like, oh, nature is for me after all. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really good, that's a really good call. As someone who's not very outdoorsy, it would never occur to me to do, to even like read a nature poem in nature, but it's so smart. Well, I think that does it for poetry. I feel like maybe people should write in and share with us if they have any favorite poems, that would be great. And we can like tweet them or mention them on the show or whatever. Nice. Yeah. Putting together a thread of them would be really fun. Yeah. That would be really fun. So email us your favorite poems at, oh, I like that pod at gmail.com. Rachel, what is your nice thing to end on? Okay. My nice thing to end on is weather related. As you may have heard in our last episode, we talked about weather (laughs) quite a bit and our editor Lucas told us that his new thing is paying attention to the dew point every day. Basically, as he explained it, like the humidity can tell you quite a bit, but dew point, I look, I'm obviously not a scientist. So I'm not going to give you the best explanation for it, but it's like, basically it's a good way to gauge like what it actually feels like outside. And so ideally it'll be below 60, the dew point will be below 60. And as it starts to go up, it's when it starts to feel really humid and muggy and nasty. And so since he made that recommendation, I've been checking it every day to kind of start to learn how different dew points feel in our, oh, I like that slack. We often talk about the dew point each day with like everyone who's who's working on the podcast and which is kind of funny, but I recommend getting into the dew point. I'll link to the explanation that I found on like what it is, sort of how to read it. But basically, it's another way you can just figure out what the weather is going to be and how to enjoy yourself in it. I think it's not an exaggeration to say that Lucas telling us about Dew Point has changed our lives completely. Yeah, completely. I like had to make sure I had a weather, weather app that showed the Dew Point. I got a shout out Dark Sky because they have, to my mind, the best Dew Point presentation because you can see it changing throughout the day. And not oh, that's cool. That. So it's a nice thing about Dark Sky. Yeah, this is a great recommendation from Lucas. Yeah, like totally life-changing. And it definitely makes it so you don't have to be like, what does 80% humidity feel like? You can look at the dew point mm-hmm. and like, no, exactly. Well, it's funny you mentioned the weather, Rachel, because my nice thing to end on is it's the, it's the concept of old weather, which is, and specifically mm. this article that I stumbled across, it's a, a Reuters article. I'm presently in a, I, you know, as you know, I like to get deeply interested in a topic for a short period of time, a thing <laughs> I think you relate to. The thing, uh-huh. the thing I'm currently obsessing over is 19th century, like, ship logs and like what ships in the 19th century, what their expeditions were like, whether they're like Mm. exploration ships or whaling ships or like merchant ships. And through some Googling, I stumbled across this article on Reuters called Weather Time Machine. And first of all, it's it's a very cool kind of interactive article that has really interesting visuals and graphics and stuff like that. But what it's about is there's a whole project of it's you can learn more about it at oldweather.org and it's going through old ship logs and entering transcribing them and entering the observations of like you know sh- mariners and like 
naval people, just people on ships and feeding them into this database at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And they're through this transcribing and entering the information, the NOAA calls it a weather time machine because it allows them to basically figure out what the weather was like for every day back all the way back to 1836, which they use to understand climate change. But mm-hmm. it's also just it's, – it's really interesting because the they were keeping such – meticulous logs of every aspect of the weather they were facing. And now it's like coming in handy to us in the current era. And I just think that like, if if we were on a ship in the 19th century with how much we talk about the weather, I feel like we would be the the weather, the, the official like weather loggers of, of any ship crew. <laughs> so this article is at Reuters and we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, but oldweather.org is also really cool. And I think that actually you can sign up to like help with the project of like transcribing these old ship logs at that website. So that's very, very cool too. And you can just kind of like, it's just, you know, fun to learn a huge amount about a very, very, very niche topic. Wow. That is an incredible recommendation. I love this. I love when I was working on my book about journaling, I included something in the book that I had found in a, like a, an academic book about women's journals. And it talked about like how, you know, just recording the weather can tell you both about the person's mood, but also about like the time and place. And I stand by that, that like no thing is too mundane to be included in, you know, your journal or things you're writing down. I don't think the weather is mundane at all, but talking about the weather gets a bad rap. And I think that writing it down probably is not something a lot of people do, but this is, to me, this is proof that like, of course we should be recording these things. You just never know what value they will hold in the future for you or for somebody else. So that is a really cool project. A hundred percent. And let me just say one last thing. I don't want to get too, I could go on forever, but a really interesting thing to look at is the logs of some of these like doomed uh, Arctic explorations, which the Reuter, which the Reuters article talks about, because they like there's this one expedition that became trapped in ice like very quickly and just spent two years like mm. drifting in the ocean until they oh, finally no. got off the ship and like tried to get rescued. And they're even when they're for those two years and beyond, they're still writing these like meticulous weather observations because they know it's important and it's like totally not what I would be concerned with. Like if I was in the post-apocalypse, for example, but now maybe I will be. Maybe I'll make sure that if we have an apocalyptic event, I keep a really meticulous weather journal. Yeah. I think you would be because like what, like that's kind of the main thing when you're in a, that's a good, you know what I mean? Like that's going to kind of determine like what you can do that day and, and just your whole life. Like I I think you would be concerned about it. You're right. Because it's like, if it's worth it, it's like, if not in the post-apocalypse, then when? (laughs) I'm, I'm like in the post-apocalypse, weather is all there is. The weather is all there is, yeah. And it's also like, like – we're, we're talking like we're, it's the natural world. It's us versus the elements. The elements are weather. No, you're totally right. And you and you probably don't have all kinds of like fancy coats and electric heaters and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I'm pivoting exactly. to the most important thing you can do in the post-apocalypse is take weather notes. Okay. <laughs> what a nice thing to I know. Up. That sort of went in a different direction than I meant <laughs> it to. So. Well, we were talking poetry, so we're a little more, you know – open. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're more like emotionally expansive this morning. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that does it. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Oh, I Like That. Please rate us and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Oh, I Like That Pod. Email us at Oh, I Like That Pod at gmail.com. You can follow the two of us on Twitter. I'm the underscore R-E-W-M and Sally is at Sally T.
Oh, I Like That is produced by Rachel and Sally and edited by Lucas. Amber Seeger, who is Rocket Orca on social media, designed our logo. So Sally and I both agreed that we would, there's, there's few things we'd rather do less than read a poem out loud for the public to hear us. That's just, we, we simply can't bring ourselves to do it. But Lucas, our editor, has done some voice acting and voiceover work and graciously agreed to read poems on the air for us. So you are going to be treated to some of those recordings along with this podcast. Please enjoy Lucas's beautiful, beautiful voice. Por que cantamos? Or Why We Sing by Mario Benedetti, translated into English by Darcy Martin. If each hour brings its death, if time is a den of thieves, the breezes carry a scent of evil, and life is just a moving target, you will ask why we sing. If our finest people are shunned, our homeland is dying of sorrow, and the human heart is shattered, even before shame explodes, you will ask why we sing. If the trees and the sky remain as far off as the horizon, some absence hovers over the evening and disappointment colors the morning, you will ask why we sing. We sing because the river is humming, and when the river hums, the river hums. We sing because cruelty has no name, but we can name its destiny. We sing because the child, because everything, because in the future, because the people. We sing because the survivors and our dead want us to sing. We sing because shouting is not enough, nor is sorrow or anger. We sing because we believe in people and we shall overcome these defeats. We sing because the sun recognizes us and the fields smell of spring, and because in this stem and that fruit every question has its answer. We sing because it is raining on the furrow and we are the militants of life, and because we cannot and will not allow our song to become ashes. The Orange by Wendy Cope at lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters, and I had a half. And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do, just lately. The shopping, a walk in the park. This is peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. Poem. The Day Gets Slowly Started. By Jane Schuyler. The day gets slowly started. A rap at the bedroom door. Bitter coffee. Hot cereal. Juice, the color of sun, which isn't out this morning. A cool shower. A shave. Soothing noxema for razor burn. A bed is made. The paper doesn't come until twelve or one. A gray shine out the windows. No one leaves the building until those scissors are returned. It's that kind of a place. Nonetheless, I've seen worse. The worried gray is melting into sunlight. I wish I'd brought my book of enlightening literary essays. I wish it were lunchtime. I wish I had an appetite. The day agrees with me better than it did 
or better, I agree with it. I'll slide down a sunslip yet this crass September morning. Frida Kahlo to Marty McConnell by Marty McConnell Leaving is not enough. You must stay gone. Train your heart like a dog. Change the locks, even on the house he's never visited. You lucky, lucky girl. You have an apartment just your size. A bathtub full of tea. A heart the size of Arizona, but not nearly so arid. Don't wish away your cracked past, your crooked toes, your problems are papier-mâché puppets you made or bought because the vendor at the market was so compelling you just had to have them. You had to have him. And you did. And now you pull down the bridge between your houses. You make him call before he visits. You take a lover for granted. You take a lover who looks at you like maybe you are magic. Make the first bottle you consume in this place a relic. Place it on whatever altar you fashion with a knife and five cranberries. Don't lose too much weight. Stupid girls are always trying to disappear as revenge. And you are not stupid. You loved a man with more hands than a parade of beggars, and here you stand, heart like a four-poster bed, heart like a canvas, heart leaking something so strong they can smell it in the street. A small selection of Jisei, or Japanese death poems. There is no death, there is no life. Indeed, the skies are cloudless and the river waters clear. That was by Toshimoto Taiheiki, Chronicle of Grand Pacification. I wish to die in spring beneath the cherry blossoms while the springtime moon is full. Saigyo, 1190. Inhale, exhale, forward, back, living, dying. Arrows let flown each to each meet midway and slice the void and aimless flight. Thus I return to the source. Gesu Soko, 1696. On a journey, ill, my dream goes wandering over withered fields. Basho. Resolution number 1003 by June Jordan. I will love who loves me. I will love as much as I am loved. I will hate who hates me. I will feel nothing for everyone oblivious to me. I will stay indifferent to indifference. I will live hostile to hostility. I will make myself a passionate and eager lover in response to passionate and eager love. I will be nobody's fool. Banyan by Mary Oliver Something screamed from the fringes of the swamp. It was Banyan, the old merchant. It was the hundred-legged tree walking again. The cattle egret moved out into the sunlight like so many pieces of white ribbon. The water snake slipped down the banks like green hooks and floated away. Banyan groaned. A knee down in the east corner buckled. A gray shin rose and the roots, wet and hairy, sank back in a little closer. Then a voice like a howling wind deep in the leaves said, I'll tell you a story about a seed. 
about a seed flying into a tree and eating it little by little.